0: Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. This is Paige, the
1: co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you
2: Welcome to Borderlines, a Canadian immigration law podcast. In January 2024, Justice Crampton, the Chief Justice of the Federal Court, released a decision where he ruled that what constitutes espionage in Canadian immigration law must evolve as hostile state actors, to quote the Chief Justice, increasingly make use of non-traditional methods to obtain sensitive information in Canada or abroad, contrary to Canada's interests, end quote. The Chief Justice held that it was reasonable for a visa officer to determine that a prospective Chinese PhD student, Mr. Lee, was inadmissible to Canada for espionage because he may, in the future, be targeted and coerced by the Chinese government into providing information that would be detrimental to or contrary to Canada's interests. There is nothing to suggest that Mr. Lee has a present or future intention to provide such information to the Chinese government Rather, the concern was future coercion or co-opting. Later that month, the Government of Canada announced a new policy on sensitive technology, research and affiliations of concerns. This policy included the publishing of a list of around 100 research organizations and institutions in China, Russia and Iran that pose, quote, the highest risk to Canada's national security due to their direct or indirect connections with military, national defense, and state security entities," end quote. In this episode, we discuss these two developments and what it means for prospective immigrants with a focus on China. Our guest is William Tao, who has been on the podcast before to discuss the starting of his own law firm, Heron Law. If you enjoy today's episode, please leave a review on iTunes. And I hope you enjoy What we are talking about is almost a follow-up to some of the issues that we discussed on the podcast last year around delays with security screening for Chinese nationals. And there was always a bit of, there didn't seem to be many decisions coming down that would explain why everyone was being delayed. There were a few cases where people had obvious ties to the People's Liberation Army that were leading to uh, procedural fairness letters or refusals. But there was nothing that explained why it seemed so broad, encompassing a lot of students, a lot of workers. And then in... December, the decision's dated, but I think it came out in early January,
3: mm-hmm.
2: the chief justice of Canada's federal court released a decision called Lee v. Canada. The neutral citation, for those who know what that is, is 2023 FC 1753. And this case involved a allegation of possible future espionage against a Chinese individual who was going to study. Was he going to study or was it a fellowship? It was, I think it was studying. He wanted yeah. to do a studying.
1: PhD program yeah. in uh, engineering at the University of Waterloo.
2: Yeah, and what the case is notable for is that it expands the definition of espionage in Canadian immigration to one that I've previously commented on, it doesn't seem clear what the limiting principles are. And the first sentence of the decision opens with, as hostile state actors increasingly make use of non-traditional methods to obtain sensitive information or in Canada or abroad, contrary to Canada's interest, the court's appreciation of what constitutes espionage must evolve. And before we get into the particulars of the case, um, well actually why don't we start with this the there's two components to the case that I think are of note and I kind of hinted at the first which is someone who was found inadmissible for future possible future espionage um and the second was just I'm not sure if this is as big but a broadening of the concept of espionage mm-hmm. and what constitutes espionage so I don't know Which one either of you want to kind of lead off in terms of discussing? Or, Will, if you can even just talk about, like, the reaction that you've seen, uh, because I know you've uh, posted on social media a fair bit about the reaction, which, again, the the short one-sentence summary of this case is that a prospective PhD student from China was Mm -hmm. found inadmissible to Canada for life because he may in the future mm-hmm. commit espionage, although there's no indication that he has any plans to now.
3: Yeah, it, it's such an onion of a decision because there's so many layers to unpack. And I think that's the the key thing I get. Um, I mean, on the practical effects of it, I have had many clients come to me in the last couple of weeks since the decision was released, uh, facing similar situations. Uh, so it looks like uh, they're they're either pending interview or having the decision whether to withdraw their application and they have other colleagues who have already been interviewed by the uh overseas embassy uh, in a country like china for example um, and have been found inadmissible on this ground in, in very similar situations so there is definitely a chilling effect right now on applicants who are seeking to study and who are now understanding why their applications were delayed for so long so in that sense, uh, there is the the concern. It's also a concern about what you mentioned, the future espionage, because uh, cases like this are are, are are incidents of where risk profiling is occurring, right, where IRCC is able to use the tools and technologies that they have now to, to be able to flag these keyword indicators where an individual has studied in a certain school or maybe studying in a certain area, and it's no longer... You know this kind of human uncovering of certain things. These cases are now all being filtered and triaged uh, towards these possible outcomes. So they, they, it leads to that interesting question of whether you know that that practice itself. Uh, how should the how, how should immigration law deal with it? How should judicial review look at that pro, pro that process? Uh, and then I think also in terms of the consequences. Like, and I, you you mentioned this Stephen one of your posts, which I thought was really on point. Like, you know, in the United States there were folks who were. Um, after this occurred, you know, they had they had they had policies preventing students from coming, but it didn't impact, for example, their ability to make refugee claims and it denied them from being able to obtain their permits. But the Canadian regime labels them as a, you know, as a spy as, as having you know, someone who is, you know, like you said, the future risk of espionage, and it has lifelong consequences, right? So uh, I think that's another layer that that we haven't discussed uh, quite as much enough in, in the public discourse. So there's yeah, so many things about this decision. Mm-hmm
1: yeah uh, just to to spell that part out the the inadmissibility that is being found is in inad- an inadmissibility on security grounds and so when somebody has been found inadmissible on grounds of security it is an inadmissibility bar that is permanent it's not like you can just reapply in fact there's no humanitarian and compassionate relief there's no period of time after which it is waived there's no way of applying for rehabilitation there's no process for reconsideration of that decision so even seeking to re-enter as a visitor is not an option and so Mm -hmm. I think just um, starting with this um, this laying in the severity of the consequences of being deemed a a security risk to Canada, I imagine that the repercussions too would probably be global because I I would think that in any parallel jurisdiction, if you're applying to now go for a visit or to get a work permit or to get a study permit, they will ask, have you been refused in any other jurisdiction? That's what Canada does. And I imagine that either there's information sharing between other uh, countries or even beyond that, you might actually just be asked whether or not you have and to have to identify yourself as somebody who's been refused as a security risk to Canada would have a pretty prohibitive effect. So Mm -hmm. um, when you think that this is being done, not because of any actual conduct, but because of the idea that there is the potential for future co-opting for the purposes of espionage, I just wanted to make sure that like the severity of those consequences was really laid down. And
2: their immediate family members are inadmissible to Canada.
3: That too. And, and, and in this decision, I mean, he had been, uh, Denied entry uh, to do his master's in, uh, I think it was at the University of Boulder, Colorado in the United States. So he was caught by the, the Trumpian policy. Um, but that policy, I mean, denies you entry. Our policy, as you mentioned, Deanna, renders you inadmissible until in a ministerial relief application, which in, in essence is decades and decades potentially, right? And
1: yeah. That, so.
2: Yeah, the Trump policy, I mean, I remember when it came out. Um, and there was almost this attitude in Canada of, Oh well, look at that you know, another xenophobic thing that uh Trump is doing and then and Canada didn't have enact the same policies restricting the ability of certain Chinese students to study in the United States, and then you flash forward a few years, and the bureaucracy and the judiciary, without any political commentary it seems appear to be implementing de facto something much stricter Mm -hmm. than what uh, Trump did.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Exactly.
1: Yeah. I mean, the thing too, I mean, we don't normally linger so long on the facts of a case, but what I found really astonishing, just staying with that part for a minute is that in this case, there was actually evidence from the professor who was going to be the supervisor for this student, because there were concerns in terms of the nature of what the student wanted to study, which was the field of microfluids and with a particular interest in the application of microfluids in the field of public health. And so there was a supervisor who was saying the what we're studying here has no military application and that it's not conducive to a military application and this from somebody who is an expert in the field and offering to be a mentor and supervisor to this person in Canada and in in spite of that the conclusions were reached that this was still something that could be Um, contorted in the future. So I just kind of, again, just in terms of getting the factual background, um, this is sort of...
2: And the other important fact, um, and we'll mention this case is like an onion in terms of all its layers and issues that it raises, is that there was no, it was acknowledged that there was no evidence that the person was a spy, Mm -hmm. or even had the intention of being a spy, spy in this case now being expanded to just be the divulging to foreign interests of even publicly available knowledge in Canada. The concern was that he may be co-opted in the future by the, in this case, Chinese government into divulging information that he learned while he was in Canada. So when Mm -hmm. we keep saying that the person's inadmissible for espionage, it's not Mm -hmm. actually a finding that he even wants to be a spy. It's that he'll be forced at some point, co-opted, to divulge information, yeah.
3: mm-hmm. and, that, and that's a, that's a problem with, I mean, and I wrote about this actually in a talk I gave, Deanna, to, to when you organized uh, for the CLEBC, uh, But I, I have concerns about the way Section 33 and Section 34 intersect. I think Section 33's language is just way it opens up that finding of a fact that could occur, right? And 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 when when speculation and, and evidence based future decision making prediction. Uh, how they intersect is, is such an interesting question uh, mm. because I, I think the line is very very thin between the two um, sure. especially in this day and age um, yeah. the other thing I wanted to add um, that I think is also interesting and actually it prompted me to to, to try and do some advocacy work as well in this space uh, is the the fact that you know this individual attended a school that was flagged but you know there isn't a until recently with again in a different field of course with the Recognized uh, institutions, but there wasn't really a um, list, or 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 even a you know publicly available watch list that that folks would know. For example, so as you know, if a student went to a school that had some concerns, maybe they would be able to proactively either address it or maybe choose not to study right now because they have this pattern, yeah. right? So this this student and the United States policy didn't either have have that either. So you know, a lot of these students that at least I'm interacting with now are are caught really uh, unaware right because these are some of the top schools as well in 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 China and and obviously um you know one such as for example Sichuan University that's on the list now is is a top one i think 100 top 150 school these are schools that are people you know come from villages in china come from places where with without education to try and get to these top elite schools not knowing, for example, that there may be some concerns running behind the background. And and obviously, they're not going to talk about it in the media, talk about it in
1: that.
2: Yeah, Yeah. so what Will's talking about is about a month after the Lee decision, um, Science or Industry Canada published a list of 100 foreign institutions, of which I think 85 are in China, that Mm -hmm. the government said they won't fund research if the researcher has ties to one of those universities and it's actually it's important to note a that's a it's a funding document it's not an immigration document b um it limits it to current ties with the school so if somebody graduated from one of these like sharif university in iran or something like that one of the listed universities but no longer has ties then the funding restriction doesn't apply Mm-hmm. And three, it's a non-exhaustive list, and it's not clear that immigration is even working off the same list. Yeah, but immigration law doesn't have the same restrictions as we'll discuss.
3: Exactly. Yeah. So, and and based on other cases I have right now, um, some of those other institutions are indeed flagged. Like it's it's there's definitely at least a few of these institutions are on, on, on some sort of list for immigration as as risk flags because you're seeing multiple students who have ever attended that institution, for example be engaged in the same processes and, and that can't just happen because of, you know, spot checks or, you know, yeah. officers, there's something working behind the scenes that's allowing that to, to be flagged with, with such efficiency.
2: No, I, there's, um, I mean, it will there's clearly some IRCC, I assume has some other list that hasn't been shared. Yeah, um, for sure what the decisions are and how it's individually assessed also hasn't been shared. It's all very, very early. Like I said, last year was on the podcast the years talking about the delays and what's going on with security screening. And 2024 looks like we'll see the, the results of what that was and how the jurisprudence develops. And the first case on it is incredibly broad. Mm -hmm. Um, And as I said, like, it's not, clear to me what the limiting principle is. So this person is inadmissible because he may come here to get a PhD in microfluid industry and reveal stuff that he learned here, be co-opted to reveal stuff. And it's no judgment. Like These decisions aren't judging the individual. It's more a judgment of the state where the victim is the individual. But the Chief Justice says, um, you know, one of the things that he references is that He references some article which says that the Chinese government is recalling Chinese executives, researchers, and engineers who have worked overseas to lead innovative Chinese companies and increase their success in the microfluidics industry. Mm -hmm. And I read that sentence and I think, okay, are those people now all inadmissible? Like are any permanent residents
1: from China who are
2: in Canada now inadmissible? (laughs) Because they may be recalled. They may be co-opted.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and we are seeing huge delays in processing of those permanent residence applications Mm -hmm. as well. Those are a huge cohort of people who are seeking to bring mandamus applications to try Mm -hmm. and figure out why their permanent residence applications have been refused. Because Mm -hmm. this type of inquiry is relatively new. Uh, people were coming into Canada to pursue post-secondary education and they were not being uh, prevented from arriving on these types of grounds. So some of them have obtained those degrees, have found work, um, have accomplished uh, the eligibility requirements to meet permanent residency, have applied and are now facing scrutiny. And we don't know whether or not they're going to come subject to these same types of, Uh, of admissibility concerns, even though they came to Canada in good faith. Yeah,
3: we actually have some cases from the in Canada context. And the one thing I would state in the permanent residence context, at least from a procedural fairness perspective, they seem to be given at least. And again, this case kind of challenges it with the timelines and how it's switched from a mandamus to a a, a JR of of a refusal really quickly. But they've been given, you know, these detailed procedural fairness letters and had the opportunity to provide written responses some of these foreign nationals overseas who are coming on temporary residence, they're owed less procedural fairness. They, they're, they're kind of being railroaded right now into these interviews one at a time and organized quickly and and, and told on the spot. And this is, I heard this from someone who had a consultation I with me. See. They're being told on the spot. They come in, they're not being told what, uh, you know, they're told to bring some stuff about their own background, but they're not told to bring any expert reports or evidence. Cont- kind of contradict the the, the the situation they're going in and, and they're being faced with a bunch of intelligent or you know intelligence published available documents saying here here's a situation here's a school you went to here's what happened here's you know essentially making the case and they're not able to really express themselves in that in that interview of so course. that's the that's what I've been told from from folks who are overseas doing these these interviews right
1: now Well, that's the first important takeaway is that if you get called in on a procedural fairness matter, uh, that I would say that it's very important to understand what the nature of the concern is before you walk into a procedural fairness interview where you get uh, uh, presented with a security concerns allegation that you're supposed to answer right there on the spot with an officer, uh, Mm -hmm. because that's, that's not procedurally fair. Yeah.
3: And they're doing the same thing for everyone because they have the same evidence and the same expert reports, and and that's something I I I bring up as a point of concern too. It's you know as a student or as someone you know who has who's being who's facing these allegations, what evidence do you rely on? Like yeah, where that's is a the very good question? In some of these countries, you're you're not going to be able to just rely on you know evidence from some of these countries and their you know publicly available posted evidence or you know, they're, they're whatever is available publicly to try and fight this, right? And even if you had access to some sort of intelligence, I mean, I'm, you're, you're probably not going to try and use these countries' intelligence to fight Canadian intelligence or Five Eyes intelligence, right? I think you're in a losing battle. So really the only folks who can possibly save you in a situation, as I feel, are these kind of independent experts, well-recognized from, you know, possibly global Northwestern Five Eyes institutions who who may be writing on stuff that challenges these narratives, but how many of those are there actually doing that work and you know i I would doubt that that work would be funded very well either in, in in you know in terms of people who you know challenge western intelligence uh I mean there's some but it it it's a it's a hard hard thing to sell for sure but I mean I've seen yeah good... they
2: rely on like also us think tanks uh some of the publicly like you know when the officers cite publicly available research I've seen I think you and I were chatting about it. Well, the Project Two Zero Four Nine Institute, which mm-hmm. um, is just a—I don't know what I'd call it—a conservative or a military think tank—that it, its purpose is basically to um, mm-hmm. to conjure up concern. I'd say over China and China's relations to the United States. And I've seen, I see—I saw in one case where you know a visa officer listed five individual sources but when I we went and read each source all of the other four were just you know sentences from that book but they all just cited the project 249 institute Mm -hmm. and so we argued back and we were like this you know this just so you know this is presented as five sources but really it's relying exclusively on this U.S. think tank um yeah
1: um but let's let's linger here for a second. Let's say somebody was trying to face off against an espionage allegation, given the way that the Chief Justice has defined what espionage mm-hmm. is. Um, what does that actually mean for an applicant? How are they going to demonstrate that essentially that um, that that this that they that this information is not going to be, Um, contrary to Canada's interest, if it were to be leaked to to China. I mean, that does seem like a huge onus to provide um, because it's not even, I mean, even this letter from the supervisor of this PhD Mm -hmm. program was not deemed to be sufficient to satisfy the officer that there was not a biofluids um, application Mm -hmm. in the military context. Um, and even going beyond that, you would have to show that there was there was no intention for that military application to, to, to not be to be contrary to mm-hmm. Canada's interest. I mean, it just it seems like a gigantic yeah. task for a single applicant. Sure,
3: sure. I think we, we start with section, with paragraph 47 of the decision where the Chief justice actually writes about it and just breaking down this definition. Uh, he says, in summary, and having regards to foregoing, I consider that the term espionage contemplates, number one, the secret clandestine, surreptitious, or covert gathering of information on behalf of a foreign government or other foreign entity or person, which that complicates things, or, and this is the big thing, or number two, the reporting or communication of information, whether surreptitiously or publicly gathered to such a recipient. I think that number two, the second part of this is very, very, it opens up the door extremely because you, you take away the secret, the clandestine, the surreptitious, the covert and you say it could be publicly gathered and just communicated information to a recipient, such as a foreign entity or a person. And I put out an example just today on, on X Twitter, talking about this, say, you know, this I, this case of a permanent resident who's actually an immigration consultant, for example. Let's just use immigration consultant; it could be a lawyer, it could be anybody. But let's say on behalf of a client uh, who is, you know, an, a person or entity, and that you know itself has to be defined whether what makes a foreign person or entity. Uh, you know whether if you're if you're actually a foreign entity operating in Canada or you're a foreign entity. I mean, there's there's many layers to that too. But what if like you're on behalf of a client, you're doing A tips and you're doing these kind of research based A tips and you got some information, uh, you haven't been authorized to disclose it, right? It is publicly available because you got a three A tip, and that information you're giving to the client is on on their behalf to help them try and navigate an immigration issue, for example, avoid automated decision making, for example. And, um it's contrary to Canadians in Canada's interest because you're're you're, you're giving them stuff that you know is about Canada's system. It attacks maybe the foundations of Canadian immigration and procedural fairness, et cetera. Uh, and you're not authorized to give that information and, and they're utilizing it. it. Are you committing espionage just by advising your client? I mean, there's an arguable case that you are if you apply strictly the second part of that test And what does reporting communicating mean? Is it if you put a blog or post, what about a journalist, a foreign journalist? I mean, there's so many examples I can come yeah. up with that just really challenge the definition. I
2: yeah. mean, I can do a simpler one. Like I went to a CBSA interview with a client once and the CBSA inter or the officer asked, have you ever driven to UBC to scan textbooks that are in the library to a certain person in a foreign government? And should scanning textbooks that are in a library uh is that espionage? Um,
1: how could that possibly be espionage? Like, how could that possibly be espionage? I, I Publicly, like, information publicly gathered. Yeah.
2: yeah, so, I mean, I think, like, I think part of what is happening here is that because there was no public policy designed to restrict which students could enter... Because clearly the government of Canada has concerns, right, with certain institutions as far as research. That mm-hmm. that science, Paul, poli- the, the, the document that they put out of the list of schools, it's out there, it exists, and there's going to be immigration consequences to that. We don't have, and we're trying, instead of there being a policy at the political level that was developed, it seems to me like it's all trying to be squeezed into espionage mm-hmm. because that's the only thing part of the legislation yeah. that could apply. Exactly. Um, and what I've talked about this last episode is kind of like where, and I don't know if any of you, know, I, I don't believe any politicians have commented on this so far, um, but they, it's the lack of, I guess, at the political side. And I have to assume that there was discussions at the political level about developing some policy on this um, rather than going with like this real... And without that, uh, they seem to have adopted, well, espionage mm-hmm. is what it'll have to be classified under.
1: Hold on a second, though, because, OK, the, the, the reporting or communication of information where whether surreptitiously or publicly gathered, that essentially could mean that just sitting in the lecture theater in mm-hmm. a public.
0: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. To find out if it's right for you.
1: Post secondary institution in Canada and then communicating that information back to a foreign government is espionage. The one part that again is additional is it has to be contrary to Canada's interests. So this is reminiscent of the Mason decision that we talked about before terrorism. It's not just that it's the communication of the information. The component that was challenged in Mason is whether or not that was contrary to Canada's interest. That is the salient element. And I think that Mm -hmm. what, um, I'm just trying to remember now from my read of this case, did that actually get addressed in the Chief Justice's reasons is how exactly this material was going to be contrary to Canada's interests?
2: I think it pertains to yeah. industrial espionage yeah. if i I can't remember where in the decision, yeah. um it but it's contrary yeah. to Canadian business and like scientific tech edge, yeah.
3: And, and the university itself has been flagged for engaging, I think, in... Um,
1: but what does that even with mean? With the military. Like, that it's can- contrary to can- Canada's economic interests? Because does that mean yeah. that any business that's competitive with... That giving... Ca- china a competitive edge over canada is then going to be considered also potentially espionage like this just to me is it's so overbroad that it has the ring of mccarthyism i mean again Mm -hmm. like i don't um like i'm not good at disguising my opinions about these things as you guys know but this i find an alarming decision
2: so i think going away from the decision and into um you know the, the the list the policy on the schools, mm-hmm. uh, which very it ties closely in is the statement that they gave. Is, I mean, it basically is Canadian led research will be taken to foreign countries for use at universities that have very close ties to the military of those mm-hmm. countries, um, and where the companies as well are very closely tied to the state. Uh, I think is the, and I mean, and and this is going to be like the broader issue with that policy is that again, it wasn't written with a, an immigration Mm -hmm. in mind, but it talks about how these institutions are accordingly threats to Canada's national security, which is, it's all, so it's a whole other separate side of that. There's a whole other inadmissibility there. Um, As to how a person though, going into the interview would address this on, like this espionage concern, I think either one of two things will have to develop. Either there'll have to be a policy that actually narrows it and Mm -hmm. comes out with what they are actually seeking, which Mm -hmm. fair enough, like if they have this list of schools that they think is a threat and they want to limit who can, you know, get a study permit based on that list and matches like people with an active tie who aren't at the undergraduate level Um, you know, if the government feels like there's some public policy rationale, so, you know, I think it'll be fair enough if they have that public policy rationale, but absent, so either there will be some sort of a policy to narrow it down, given the draconian impacts of being inadmissible for espionage, or the case will have to be narrowed because Mm -hmm. right now, and again, I kind of wish like, it's one of those cases where you wish that the, the... Chief Justice was available for comment to be like, is it your intention that like anyone, because anyone from China in theory could be co-opted. So like I gave that example of the people in the microfluids industry, anyone could be asked to go to a university and scan textbooks. Like what limiting principle do you envision? I gave the example with Pantea, although we didn't expand on it on like, if you take this to the Iranian context where let's say the Iranian report, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps is designated a terrorist organization that's something that in theory any Iranian child could be drafted into so using the same logic mm-hmm. any Iranian child could be co-opted into or conscripted into the Islamic Republican Guard Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps or and then be inadmissible
1: yeah, mm-hmm, and I, so. I just, I think that part of what, what troubles us about this decision, if I can speak on on all of our behalves, is that there's an absence of any requirement of personal culpability on behalf mm-hmm. of the applicant. And that to me is chilling because if you were to look at this as, let's say the person were here and had a concern about being co-opted, that, and they had a legitimate and evidence-based concern about being co-opted, that would produce a refugee claim. And so, but when they are going to be um, labeled as somebody who is in danger of being co-opted and because of that, they are inadmissible, again, I find that it's very difficult to reconcile with this notion of being inadmissible as a future risk. And yet um, mm-hmm. that, i i i I don't know how to put those two into the same scheme
3: yeah do you think i'm just as a a hypothetical if an individual is coming to let's say reunite with their their spouse on just some sort of you know visit or if they're not working or studying at these you know major institutions if they're coming to like sweet floors at a restaurant or something because of who they are and their profiling does it matter what they're going to do like is it does the case turn on the fact that they are in these institutions because it also affects how applicants plan right because some students or visitors may not want to study right now they may just want to come here and, and 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 try and visit but will they be refused on other grounds or will they be is this still i possible think they... lee
2: will be narrowed on this so that mm. i think that like i think that's one if there is no policy then one of the areas lee will be limited is that um there has to be some connection between the purpose and the industry, or or something. But like, would they be allowed to attend a conference here that's related to their industry?
1: What if they married a know. Canadian and wanted to attend the marriage of their Canadian child? You know, um, yeah. uh, there, Well, Mister Lee of... can't now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, like, yeah.
2: and that's part of the again the, the 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 irony is that the Trump policy, which I remember it just you know people oh there's you know xenophobe and uh, Canada's not doing the same. It was narrowed to that specific purpose and not even all students. Um, whereas Canada, it's these lifetime bans mm-hmm. for espionage. So, and, but and I do it, think it has to be because it's. Yeah. Um, I'll put it this way: it's very hard to see how Lee can be broadened <laughs> as to who's. <laughs> it,
3: it. It's as broad as it gets. Yeah, and like it, it's, it, uh, yeah.
2: It, it's very close. And again, I wish like and i don't i don't think it was the intent like i'm just i'm i'd be really curious um i i mean you know if, if there was ever a q and a with if judges could ever just ask if if people had questions about something that the judge could immediately answer i can't imagine that it was intended to be interpreted the way some people like us are interpreting going what are the limiting principles based on this what's written and yeah, because otherwise, I mean, it's very close to like if you're Chinese, you could be co-opted if you work in an area that is of interest to the Chinese government or if you have the ability to send information.
3: Yeah. Um, it, yeah, And another thing that is, that's going to be interesting to come out of this is which judge maybe writes the next decision to challenge this, right? Because I mean, the way, and I spoke to a lot of folks in the federal court, just to understand how these cases because we saw chief justice take a couple of these more notable cases in the last little bit to make decisions on, but he he clearly identified the ones he wanted to take on. So it'll be interesting to see if, you know, another one goes to another judge and how that judge maybe interacts or maybe pushes back against it. Um, and we've seen it, for example, in the HNC state where where the where chief justice wanted a comparative test and it was all about comparative and other Judges have been less on that, and there to have been tension points in the jurisprudence because of just the different judges that have engaged cases and the viewpoints of how they saw things. So it'll be interesting to see how what what Mm. happens next. And
2: yeah, I mean, uh, the next decision may already have been written before this decision as well, and go a different way.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm finding I found the the part where it explains how the 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 leaking of this information to Chinese authorities could go against Canada's interest. It's around about paragraphs 52 and 53 of the decision, where Mm -hmm. it describes um, the material relied upon by the officer, describing the sprawling ecosystem of PRC programs and incentives designed to ensure the scientific know-how and technologies the students and Scholars acquire abroad are absorbed to advance its military-civil fusion strategy, benefiting China's commercial and defense sectors. Um, So, again, highly generalized and, again, that putting the burden of proof on an applicant to try and, um, I guess, disprove that that the information that they would be acquiring could be used for this purpose – the the other part if you go to paragraph 53 again it sort of talks about the same things that the that the student would be obtaining sensitive and proprietary information or leading edge technologies and that the officer said that the loss or unauthorized disclosure of such information could damage canada's interest and so i guess the part that really sticks with me is what makes that disclosure unauthorized other than the fact that um I think that that's really where I get stumped.
2: I think that's where Will's A tip like analogy comes in, right? Like, it's uh, do you need permission to, you know, unauthorized is that uh, do you need permission to buy a book in Canada, bring it to China, and read it to someone? But do you? Like, (laughs) Like, that part I don't get. (laughs) I really don't. I'm,
1: I'm, uh, I'm, and so if you can't, like, the just dis- the decision lays out a framework for what is espionage, but to me it never really explains what actually makes this disclosure unauthorized. And so, mm-hmm. without that, I feel very flummoxed. Is yeah. that because we're to living
2: you? in the old world, Deanna, of what espionage meant until this decision? You have to really broaden mm-hmm.
1: uh,
2: what you like perceive as being espionage now.
1: Yeah, in terms of transparency for applicants, I feel yeah. um the kind of concern and fear of people yeah. that like um to me it's not clear whether or not that textbook being 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 brought abroad that would be considered.
3: So so I I had a I had a client who after the lead decision retained me uh, same kind of fact pattern mandamus um they were they had a hearing day set and then IRCC um sped up the process, right? They, they did the whole um, interview, call for interview thing. Uh, in an in interview notice, they said, you can attend the interview on this day or you can withdraw the application.
1: Huh.
3: I advise the client to withdraw the application at this time just because I, I don't see like, and, and they were telling me already because they, they, they already started a WhatsApp group or some sort of WeChat, group, I don't know what it is, of other folks who had gone through the process and they discussed, as I said earlier, going into the interview, being told all this information and being found inadmissible one by one. So I think in, in that fact and context, it's like, I don't think you can come and work in your you know postgraduate fellowship or whatever thing that you're working on now if you've had these schools on your resume. I just, it doesn't.
1: Wow. I, so you I don't are you seeing it. volumes of decisions for people coming to study in these high, high-tech kind of fields from certain schools that are just routinely facing espionage. Yeah.
3: And it's not even schools, it's employers as well, it's government agencies. I mean, it's quite broad right now when it comes to certain countries, especially uh, China in this context. And, and and another interesting fact, too, is there are folks who've previously been permanent residents in Canada, right? These are folks who, there was actually a lot of, several individuals who during the COVID pandemic or just beforehand gave up their uh, PR because they couldn't meet the residency obligation. There are folks who became permanent residents 10, 15 years ago when the legal tests and when the screening wasn't as automated and sort of advanced as it is now. And now they're the ones who are actually now on the second round being found inadmissible for things they did back before they were even permanent residents the first time. Right. Yeah.
2: Justice Mosley had a decision in 2023 that, yeah, Yeah. Gung, I've cited it a whole bunch where um, someone was, it was determined that if a person taught English for something called the Luoyang Institute of Technology, then, Because that institute taught spies English, they were a member of an organization that committed espionage. And one of the things Mosley raised was, well, this person, it was fine before. yeah Um, And And, also just that teaching English to a spy doesn't
3: mean someone was a spy. And and that's why I think it's important that you draw the comparison between the two, because I think in that decision, just Mosley said, you know, this definition is getting overexpansive, you know, it's getting too much and you need to narrow it down a bit and and maybe this is why because it does give you a vehicle 34 a to say now it doesn't matter if you know we could have pursued membership but the, the links are less clear but now we can say future risk and that actually is easier to prove than you know the sort of tangentialness of your membership
2: i mean we'll have to see it's so like yeah. it's, it's one of those where you just look and you're like it can't possibly be as like broad as hmm what the decisions well, suggest. From what
1: will is saying though um the path of least resistance it, it does seem that it is working in the sense that not a lot of people are going to challenge these decisions um it is causing people to withdraw applications because of the fear that they will face what is like uh, a permanent if not global ban from travel and so um i i feel like this is something uh, you know being the like the host doomsayer on this program. Um, it's this to me is the creep and the attrition of, of, of procedural fairness. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's, it's troubling.
2: The next one, I think though will go up. So I think the next one will have a certified question Yeah, um,
1: yeah I really and it'll so. go
2: to the federal court of appeal and the Supreme court. Cause affirm? like there, there's, uh, or there'll be something at the political level. Like I really do think mm-hmm. that, yeah. um, uh and i I do wonder, I can't remember, um was Mr. Lee's school on that list of schools?
3: yeah, it was,
2: yeah, like I really even there, like I really do wonder if Lee would have been written different if that list had come out mm-hmm. to say, but if it had come out before to say, okay, uh even this I think is still too broad, but he's he's inadmissible. Reasons tied to the policy. Um, I just yeah. don't know what it would be because ideally, like if they do, if that's the direction that the government does want to yeah. go, uh,
3: yeah.
2: I mean, then it's still like the inadmissibility for espionage. It just seems like they're trying to.
3: Yeah.
2: It's trying to put, and the system as a whole. I know Lee came out before that is trying to fit like a circle of what they're trying to identify and what the concern is into the square hole of that's available under the ERPA and it's having results that don't make sense.
1: But they're also trying to make it as absolutely easy as possible um, to refuse -hmm. refuse because ultimately they have to show absolutely nothing. Um, in respect of the applicant themselves, um, they really need to only show. And this is something that we have seen thematically in the in the jurisprudence is that to have to um, cite specific um, evidence against a specific um, applicant is too onerous for the Canada Border Services Agency. So we can use this kind of inferential evidence to imply. Um, and this is sort of what I was getting at when I made that, mm-hmm. uh, that statement in, in two episodes ago that I feel like we're getting uncomfortably mm-hmm. close in my view to, um, inadmissible based on what your beliefs may be or what your imputed mm-hmm. beliefs may be or what your future I mean, action may your be. Citizenship.
2: Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly.
1: Or what your interests are and what the potential is for being co-opted. And -hmm. when it gets into this, um, I feel uncomfortable. um, And I think we should all feel a bit uncomfortable about what that means in terms of profiling.
3: Do you think we need to amend Section 33? Is that the starting point? Like, is that, is this this reasonable grounds to believe that a fact may occur? Is that a way to... Like, does that open up the floodgates?
2: No, I think there needs to be a specific, I mean, before Lee, I think something, I think Lee needs to be narrowed and that there needs to be at the political level a mm-hmm. policy to actually address. Again, and and I mean, that's the thing is like Lee cites the Trump, um, yeah. just uh, the chief justice cites uh, President Trump's proclamation. And I think if we're going, if if the goal is something similar to that, then that should be done at the political level instead of uh, through the bureaucracy. And this is something that I've talked about before. Is I'm just surprised that no politicians yeah. have commented on this.
3: But are are we just band-aiding a problem that's going to occur in another scenario, in another yeah. with another group? With so you're I mean, just trying to prevent uh, them
1: from being able to imply guilt by association, like that it's not just reasonable grounds, that they actually need some. Is that what you're talking about, Will?
3: Well well my my concern is I mean the, the provision of 341, you know, and, and the way that it's historically traced there, there's certain language around engaging and you know things that are actually occurring or there there's some link to an activity. So for example and I write this in my latest blog. Had the individual, for example, had some meetings in all the cases that were cited by the chief justice, individuals actually did actions that were on the pathway to espionage. Right? They 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 had some. Like you said, the personal involvement thing. You know, in Krina, you know, she wasn't. She was approached by a a foreign agent, and she. This person was part of a student group at, in in Concordia and passed on information to the foreign. Like there's there's this passing on or action of something doing mm-hmm. with the way that you know, this is written now in the interpretation of Section 33 now, it's something that may occur. So it doesn't have to have, these facts don't have to have actually occurred. It it just could possibly, reason, and there are reasonable grounds to believe it occurred. But the problem now is the way that we're flagging the cases isn't by, you know, officers looking at the full application and the materials to say, hey, what did this person do? What were they, you know, doing? It's, it's being flagged to them that these are cases of concern and they're going back to reverse engineer or kind of put the fill in the details. Okay. The study plan is the problem now is in this case, but I don't think the study plan was what actually flagged it. Right. It wasn't that they were reading the study plan and were like, Hey, this person is concerning. It's no, the system and the risk indicator said if you're from this school and you have this background, you're flagged. I think and there needs to be,
2: I mean, I think there needs to be room for some sort of a future thing just because, yeah. Like engaging in terrorism, if the person hasn't committed terrorism yet, but we believe that they're entering Canada to commit terrorism, um, that would be future looking. Engaging in acts basis. of violence if they haven't yeah. actually committed the violence yet. But sure. I mean, let's say like, you know, especially given that there has been or there's allegations of foreign governments hiring People in Canada to commit crimes, um, murders specifically, then if they may in the future engage of acts of violence that hasn't happened yet. Like, I do think there is a need for a future looking yeah but there is, Section that's, 33.
1: That's F. Being but they a aren't member. a member yet.
2: They don't have to be a member. They could be contracting with the organization that's going to do it, right? Like, but
1: still, the membership has been defined incredibly broadly, that membership doesn't require actual, doesn't require actual... But
2: suppose all you've done is contract with the group or just said, yeah, sure, I'll do it. It doesn't mean you're the member. You're a completely separate entity. I um, think that
1: the jurisprudence, though, contemplates that that still is sufficient to imply membership.
3: Mm-hmm. And, and that's a way that we traditionally, oh. before this decision, looked at it. But yeah. the problem with, yeah, like, what are reasonable grounds now? Like, is it enough that it's a risk factor that's been entered into this, you know, algorithmic system to flag people from this, per- this school? Is that enough reasonable grounds? Because if that is, then somewhat case closed. Like, there's really nothing yeah. you can... Well, no, but I think right.
2: it needs to be narrowed in other, like, I think the definition of espionage or coercion, like, it can be narrowed at that end. I don't... Think getting rid of a future. I don't think membership. It seems just a stretch that, like you know, let's say, like so. There's Iranian. The Iranian government is accused, or two Hells Angels have been accused of being hired by the Iranian government to murder people in the United States. I don't think that makes those two Hells Angels members of the Iranian government, right? But like under a regime where you could be inadmissible if it's reasonable to believe you will commit violence. Um, I think that there does need to be a provision that clearly, you know, sets that out. So, I mean, 33 can be amended yeah. to reduce the scope of what yeah. Uh, yeah. reasons well, well, to burden, believe something you will. Higher
3: burden proof or no, you, you do still have a reason to believe standard or would you make it that they'd actually um... have, to have some sort of personalized evidence? I mean, that I mean, that's where we're. I don't know problems. like I think
2: personalized evidence yeah, I mean I think that's part of like a bigger issue is that there's yeah. there's the lack of personalized evidence it seems in the judgment, although maybe and again it's mean, just the way it's written I don't know what was uh I think the judgment can be interpret like maybe there's a way to interpret it narrow or I think the the co-opting or coercion aspect to me is the 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 more problematic thing because we're really like uh, The guy is being labeled a security threat to Canada for something that everyone seems to agree he has no intention of doing, but may be forced to in the future. To me,
1: it's, I, I think that when you look at the structure of the provision, to me, there was a clear parliamentary intent engaging in engaging in Mm, we should maybe mm. put it on screen they were all intended to be engaging in meaning that there is an Mm. actual intent Mm. that that is an actual thing that is already done with the exception of section f meaning that you are actually a member of an organization there's another one being a danger to the security of canada those ones actually require some conduct the other one like those are the only ones that um that so uh that the idea, okay, here you go. So th- the idea of engaging in an act of espionage, to me, I don't understand how that can be read in a way that doesn't actually require any act of espionage, but just the future threat of potential espionage. To me, that goes yeah. well. But that would be thirty-three,
2: right? The, like you would read thirty-four in conjunction with thirty-three, right? Okay. The 33
3: um, rewrites almost the language. Like, it doesn't even matter why are we even adding ING or past tense or present tense to any of that. You might as well just say.
2: Yeah. I mean, in okay, spe- I see yeah. what you're saying yeah, now, To me, that
1: that is just too problematic because... It's interesting,
2: too, to tie it into, like, have there been cases... Because it says 34 to 36. 36 includes criminality. So where someone's inadmissible for committing a crime. Yeah. What are the grounds where it's reasonable to believe that someone will commit a crime? Oh my Which is where my background comes in, because in that case, in that movie, they had those women in the baths who could see everything. Whereas here, it's just like "Is a Minority Report" is my background for those.
3: Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm yeah. working with I'm, I'm and this is actually Barb drachman who I you know, respect. She is you know everything um, in in immigration, and uh you know she flagged this as part of a review we're doing of some of the legislative provisions we think need to be amended but this. This, especially this the standard but this 33 and 34 clash is 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 too yes. obvious right now agree.
1: Like I it's... agree I agree they haven't used it in this yeah. future intent except for in this espionage and the other part to me that is um so I'm 100% with you Will that the 33 34 um uh tie is mm. Um, is problematic. And the other part is that if you're going to talk about espionage, there needs to be more clarity around what is actually unauthorized disclosure. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Yeah. Um, Just looking at the time and Deanna and my goal to keep these under 45, (laughs) if you had to make your prediction for the year on how this uh, progresses in terms of will there be a policy? Will there be a narrowing where we kind of just fumble along <laughs> um, and kind of stumble through the year where just security delays continue to be long and uh the principle in Lee becomes entrenched. What would your prediction be?
3: Who goes first?
2: I'll give mine. I think we stumble okay. along. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: like, I I I think and I think I can't remember exactly the site, but there, there's a there's a membership. I think it's called Shri, there's a membership case coming. I, I think membership's definition might go maybe balance after Gung and, and expand a bit more. And I think in this particular decision, like I agree with you, I think we're going to I think there's going to be a decision that that that's rendered by a different judge that puts this into at least a bit more of a debate and, and seeks to narrow it. That's that's going to be my prediction. I think. Oh, I think be
2: there'll a- be a certified question. I think oh, yeah. And,
3: yeah. And a certified question.
2: I think it's yeah. gonna go up to the Court of Appeal.